Hey! We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is the Ask the Martins podcast, where we answer your single, married, or dating relationship questions. With practical advice and research-based techniques. Have a relationship question you want answered? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins, or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Let's ask the, the, the most basic or what Takara calls the, the dreaded question. Tell us a little bit or a lot about yourself, what you do, um, where you're at, how we find you, all those good things. Okay. Well, my name is Joel Gregory. And of course, uh, first and foremost, I'm a child of God, husband to my beautiful wife of 24 years this year in November, and uh, father of two children, a junior in college, Joel, and a freshman in college, Joel. Uh, so I have a 20, soon to be 21 year old and a 19 year old. And of course, I pastor uh, Linked Up Church, been pastoring this church for seven years now. And uh, just thankful and and really amazed at the amount of grace that God has extended to us uh, in those seven years, especially during this pandemic. Uh, If I don't love, if I didn't love him before, I love him more than I ever have (laughs) because he just keeps showing me that regardless of what life throws at you, uh, he's going to take care of you anyway. So, so that's really me in a nutshell. That's who I am and, and what I represent. Excellent. And, and and just really quick, how can we find you online? Like for all of our, all of our viewers who are actually not in Georgia or what, whatnot, how can we find you online or the ministry or your church or anything like that? Well, right now, linkedupchurch.com would be the best way. And of course, all of our ads and YouTube channels there. I'm currently not on social media uh, for just reasons of, uh, you know, my wife is going through some challenges this year. My pastor uh, transition this year. So there's some major decisions that, that I need to make. And so I'm really focusing my time and energy there. Believe it or not, the number one thing is just being a better father to my son. That is important to me and uh, really working on that. I'm working on myself to be better at what he needs me to be so that he can be all that, that he he needs to be. Fantastic. So I don't plan on getting back on until I accomplish these goals and, and, and feel like the ship is righted and we're heading on down the road. Fantastic. And that kind of all that kind of fits into why we're here and where we're going. Um, We need we as men, uh, some of us as grown men, as well as growing men need leadership. And and you're when we when we first started this entire series, you were the first name that came up because you're personally my leadership, but you're someone who I watched and follow from from a distance, someone who went the first time I met you, <laughs> the first time I met you, I was like, this is him. This oh, is wow. that guy. And, and the reason why is because you're not, um, you're a real guy. You're a, a real dude, if you will, but you're a real guy. You're down to earth. Um, you always speak straightforward. You're, you're, and for me, that matters. You're not performative. Um, you always have a great, um, a strong pull for men, for real men, and how to be a real man. And so I, I think people need to know and see that there are people out there like you mm-hmm. that are, in a sense, even, even outside of church, and an elder of the community, someone who you can actually put a pin on and say, that's a guy worth following. Um, 
with that said, though, when it comes to great men and when it comes to um, men who have uh, achieved at least a certain level of success, every last one of them that at least I found uh, has had uh, failures or have had a pinpoint moment in their life that that caused them to that challenged them that challenged them to either break or persevere and to eventually get the victory. And and I guess that would be my first question to you. What was that challenge in your life and how did you recover from it? Yeah. So for me, it actually goes all the way back to childhood. And um, I, you know, I wanted a father so bad. I can't even define to you what I was going through as a kid. And I think the, the most challenging part was he was 20 minutes away from me and I never saw him, never spent time. And of course he'd call and say, you know, I'm going to get you a bike for your birthday and never show up. And, and I was the kid that would be in the window looking for him. Right. And the car would never show up and I'm crying the whole time and it would just crush me. And so mm. the ability to overcome fatherless, I think is the, or, or being fatherless as a child, um, is probably the one victory that empowered me to overcome every other challenge that I knew I would face. For some reason, I felt like if I could still become a man without being raised by one, mm. if, I, if I could be the husband that he never was, if I could be the father that he never was, overcoming that would, would be the empowerment that I would need to overcome anything else that, that life threw at me. So I would say really becoming a man despite being not raised by one. Uh, it's that one defining victory that has set up every single other victory in my life. I can always look at that and say, if God graced me to overcome that, everything else is really small to me in comparison to the struggles that I had as a kid growing up. Wow, wow. And, and what I hear in there is, is that you overcame being failed and and because there's a big piece in that where I think a lot of us men, um, by and large, have been failed in that way, um, whether their father has been present or or not. I know my father was physically present, but not mentally and emotionally present right. he was there, but never taught to engage in those ways. And right. we'll, we'll talk to that. Um, well, actually, let's let's I, I want to jump to that now, because that has a lot to do with manhood and. And you said that you were, despite being failed in that way, despite not having the father, despite not having someone to kind of usher you along or initiate the process in the manhood, how, how did you find, well, let me ask, let me put it this way. What, what became your definition of a man and how did you find yourself to that manhood, to that manhood principle? Wow. So that's a huge jump, right? So, um, so going back into my childhood, not having that relationship kind of defined how I treated all men. So I had no respect for men. I had no respect mm. for authority. I couldn't be coached. I couldn't be uh, controlled in the classroom, uh, just really out of control because of the hurt that I had and disappointment from him. It translated to not wanting to listen to anyone. No one could tell me anything uh, to do. And then that kind of translated into how I treated females. Uh, mm. right? Everything was, uh, I'm going to get you before you get me. And uh, growing up in an inner city, the mentality is very much that way, right? So now 
you go through all of that and, and you're uh, in college and you're starting to really reevaluate where has that gotten me. And I can look at my father's life and see if I continued on that path, I actually, history is getting ready to repeat itself. And so I would say I began that search my sophomore year in college. And uh, I can remember, uh, it's so many stories here. Uh, anyway, I, we had played a game the night before I was a college athlete and a uh, guy was waiting for me outside of the gym. And I'll make the story short and never seen him before. And he challenged my manhood. And uh, he said that, again, coming from Detroit, that's like disrespectful. So I went right back at him. He was a mm. Caucasian male. And um, he said to me at the end of it, if you're a man, then uh, let's look at the Bible and let God define that. And you measure yourself by how he defines it. And he kind of ended it with, if you're man enough, meet me here three times a week. And for whatever reason, because he challenged my manhood, I showed up. Mm. Uh, and so anyway, make a long story short, we did that for probably eight weeks. And uh, then this guy disappeared. And uh, walked off. Last time, my image of him was walking off into a field. Um, and I've never heard of him, seen of him. He doesn't exist. And so I personally believe it was an angel. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was when my process and my journey began. And so I know you've got some questions in here about defining manhood. And of course, that's a, a loaded question, right? I kind of looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 as my biblical definition of manhood. The Amplifier reads it this way. It says, be on guard, stand firm in your faith, in God, respecting his precepts and keeping your doctrine sound. Then here it says, act like mature men and be courageous, be strong. Verse 14, that everything you do be done in love, motivated and inspired by God's love for us. And so I'll just kind of break that down a little bit. So when mm -hmm. I define being a man, being on guard and being alert, protecting my spiritual well-being, my soul, my mental development, taking care of my physical body. So being on guard, being on alert, making sure that I am becoming everything that God wants me to be. Then the next thing he said, there was the stand firm in the faith. And so to me, a real man is going to find out what God said first. And then he's going to stand firm in that and just really not relinquish what God said about whatever it is he's exploring, investigating, or seeking to become. The third thing he said there was to act like men. So clearly there is a way that a man acts. And that particular text, uh, it talks about to be brave, uh, to not be a coward, not be timid, not to be alarmed. And so I immediately knew it was going to take courage and I had to be brave to follow God because I'm getting ready to go against a culture and against a society that's going to look at me differently now and, and maybe see me as the weak link uh, or something like that. And so I knew it was going to take bravery. I had to be strong. If I'm not going to sleep with someone before I get married, if I'm going to go to church and serve in the church and follow God and do things the way he instructed me to do and honor him with 10% minimum of everything that he gives to me, I knew that acting like a man then was going to take some brave, I had to be brave and I had to be courageous. And then the fourth thing he said there was to be strong. And so how being strong here is defined is being firm, being fixed and being steadfast 
according to Albert Byron's commentary. And so, you know, it's one thing to, to say that you're a certain way. It's a whole nother thing to have the strength to live it out. Mm. And so that's kind of, uh, for me, again, that next level of defining what a man. And then the fifth thing he said there was to uh, let everything that you do be done in love. That's probably been the most challenging part of my growth and development as a man is to do everything that I do in love, because, of course, people don't always deserve in our estimation to be treated with a response of love. But a man is going to do that anyway, regardless of how other people are acting or how they're responding. A man is going to still be motivated by love and his response. And that's probably the area that is ongoing for me because we're human beings, right? So we right. respond like human beings first, typically, and then we get to a place where we reevaluate and say, you know what, God doesn't treat me that way. That's not how God leads me. And then we reapproach that same situation with, with a little better strategy, making sure that love is at the forefront of that. So that, uh, Kenyon, sir, is, is really how I define a man and how I try to grow in my manhood. And of course, there are other layers to that that I'm sure we'll get into. Well, what I found in what you just said was powerful in the sense that it wasn't self-centric. Uh, many times when we deal with courage, when we deal with uh, being strong or, or, or our strength or our masculinity, which I'll get into, uh, it, it comes across as this is something that I have to prove. Like you said, when you were a, a sophomore in college, you felt like you were disrespected. And so this is something that you had to respond to. And I find that we um, as men are responding uh, to what we feel as something that uh, people are taken away from us. Like, you, are you challenging my strength or do I have right. to show you? Do I have right. to show you? Who I am? Right. Um, but this right here doesn't say anything about me. It says a lot about what, how I should behave as a man and, and most specifically as a man of God. So I can have strength and I can respond in love at the same time. Yeah. And that's a balance. That's an art. Yes. Yeah. If How do we add, do that? If I, exactly. If I can add to that, sir, um, Joseph Thayer, uh, somebody is a commentarist, the Greek English lexicon of the New Testament. I always refer to that a whole lot when I'm trying to gain greater understanding of a phrase. So believe it or not, that phrase, act like men, really means to make a man of. And so I've come to understand that, you know, you're born male, but you have to be made a man. Mm. Which, which means you need another man or someone in your life, coach, mentor, teacher, to require things from you and then hold you accountable until you've matured to a place where you require those things from yourself. And so that's why we have so many men out here, in my opinion, it doesn't know what that looked like uh, because it's never been required of them. And so I think that's a big piece to it. Men are, we're born males, but you have to be made a man. And it really takes iron to sharpen iron and another man to kind of bring that out of you and develop that. But of course, that person has to want that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I'm, you know, I, I tend to think that a lot of young men, um, when we, when we deal with, I guess, the era where it came uh, about gangs or whatever, they were looking to each other. So we're looking to, uh, un, from blind leading to blind, blind, uninformed to uninformed in order to help raise our manhood. Right. And instead, we really do need elders and mentors and coaches and people like you 
who can um, hold you accountable to being that and to, to being courageous and steadfast and strong until you're able to hold yourself accountable to be made a man. Exactly. Um, with that, how do we undo like there's a lot of us here who have been quote unquote men or think we're men um, and but have actually not been man enough. And when I say that, not that we aren't enough, but hasn't performed in those ways. But how do we undo what we've been taught by the culture that what of what a man is? All right. So um, I'll share a story with you. Right. Uh, I'm going to pull up a verse that helps me share the story. Um, and I think it's so important to the process of what you're describing. I first have to believe that my actions don't represent that of a man. I have to believe that in order to now believe I need to change. <laughs> and so then I have to say to myself, if I'm trying to change, what information am I receiving that I want to change into, right? And that's all a part of that process. First, I have to believe I'm not a man, right? And, and right. Or at least the way I'm behaving, it doesn't represent manly standards. And then I have to go somewhere and get some information that defines that differently for me and agree with that. And then here comes the work, the work of now changing a wrong behavior, a behavior that I wasn't pleased with into a right behavior. So I want to read to you something that happened to me um, when this journey started for me. Of course, I was uh, 19, 20 years old. After I graduated from college, I came home and uh, I just knew I wasn't it, right? I'm not it. <laughs> and uh, I'm not happy with myself. Um, uh, whatever it is, I know I'm not it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and I want to be it. So I, I, I wrote down something here as well that kind of fits as well. You remember Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, I understood yes. as a child, but, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so that's kind of that journey, right? Becoming mm -hmm. a man and no longer having childlike behavior. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, uh, talks about this reversal that needs to take place. Uh, he said here in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. I'm reading out of the New King James. All things are lawful for me, but he said, I won't be brought under the power of any. He talks about foods are for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God has raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. And if you notice raising us up in that context is talking about raising us up from immorality, right? And mm -hmm. sex outside of marriage. And so then you back up and you look at verse nine, and he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And inherit is the key word there. Now we're talking about your eternal salvation. Mm -hmm. And then this is kind of the process. And it says, and such were some of you, but now you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord. So I think every man then needs to go through this process 
of what the scripture talks about here of washing. And the only thing that can wash us clean is the blood of Jesus. The only other reference in the scripture that talks about cleaning is the word of God being compared to water. We are now clean through the word of God. And so I think every person needs to go through a season. So I'm coming out of uh, Kenya, just being transparent. I, mm-hmm. I don't turn nothing down. So I, I don't, I'm an athlete. So I think, you know, what goes along with that. You, you go score 30, you post up in the, in the hallway afterwards and you pick them as they walk by <laughs> and I'm coming out of that type of lifestyle. And I need a season of man, just know nothing. So I decided personally, and everyone is viewing, take it for what it's worth uh, to take the next four years of my life and just dedicate it to understanding what becoming a man looks like and growing in my Christianity and my walk with God. So for me, that meant never missing a church service, serving in my church, doing my daily devotionals every single day, praying every single day, never going in another club, no alcohol and not sleeping with another female that I am not married to. And I just took four years to allow that word to wash me clean from all of that bad thinking. And then I could tell afterwards I was set apart, which is the next word that he used there. But now you are sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart. I knew I was set apart after that four years because I could be around a female now and control myself. Mm. I could be around a female now and not violate her. Club wasn't a temptation. Alcohol wasn't a temptation. I knew that the word now has set me apart to live a certain way. And it was at that point I knew I could start pursuing a friendship. And then I love the, the last portion of that. It says, and, but you were justified. At the end of that, I knew God had made me righteous. And the man that I used to be at the end of that four years was no longer the man that I was at the end of it. And just to kind of prove the truth of that in my own life is the next time I slept with someone was my wife, which would be eight years after that four year start time uh, on our wedding night. And, mm. uh, and she's the only woman that I've been with since I was 22 years old and I'm 54 years old today. And I can say that I've never even spoke the wrong way to another female. I've never really done anything in word or deed that would violate my marriage covenant to my wife or violate the opposite sex. And I think it's all a real testament to that four-year commitment to really come out of who I used to be and grow into what I want to become. Go ahead. Did you? I did. I just had it. While you were talking there, sorry, I'm off to the side, PG. Um, We have... A, a lot of uh, women coming to us um, in relationships married uh, to men that they felt like, you know, they saw him, they saw his potential and they thought they knew what a man was supposed to be. So they thought that they could basically take him through his own season and help them through their season by marrying him. Right. Yeah. Can you speak to you know, obviously you, what you just said in your process and what you went through was very specific and very few men really go through that. Can you speak to the, the, the misconception of why women can't take men through that for them, why a man has to do that and kind of what's important about men kind of standing on their own, even if it means they can't have that lady till they get there? Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's a tough question. I can tell you, I've talked to, I don't know, thousands of men and 
I don't know, but really one that discipline themselves to, to actually go through this process. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what ends up happening is both sides do things prematurely. And like anything else, when you do things prematurely, you have premature complications. And so let, let's talk about that and let's talk about it from the beginning and then we'll walk it, we'll walk it through and we'll do it in a, a synopsis form. And so if you go back to the beginning, God created Adam before he created Eve. Even though their spirits were created on the same day, Adam came first. And then God gave Adam responsibility, a place to say, stay, something to guard and protect. It was so important that he had a personal relationship on his own with God. Mm. And he was actually flowing in what God, his purpose, what God placed him on the earth to do. Guard, protect, name all of the animals, insects, bugs in the kingdom. And you, you recall it wasn't his idea, it was God's idea that, that man should not be alone. And God said, I'll make a help meet for him. So right there, he defines their roles. His role is to guard, to protect, to provide, to be the leader in terms of a, of a relationship with God in that environment. Her responsibility, her role is to help him. And that's never going to change, right? And so uh, she has to give him time to develop. And I'll show this to you further in a moment. She has to give him time to develop and be what God placed him in the earth to be. But more importantly, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't need someone to want to give him the time to do that. He should want that for himself and then let her come in and join the environment and the garden that he can place her in, right? And so, you know, we have history here. So I think 200, 300 years go by, human beings, man falls. And, you know, God tells me, if you continue to disobey me in Jeremiah 29, um, then I'm going to cause you to be carried away into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. And in Jeremiah 29, 4, he goes right back to to what the original plan was, right? And I'm gonna share that with you all real quick. And then I'm gonna specifically answer that question for you, Takara. So while they're in captivity, this is what God says to them in Jeremiah 29, four through seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, both of you all are Bible students. So when you see thus says the Lord of hosts, that's prophecy. Well, what is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking forth the mind and counsel of God. This is the way God thinks, right? And this is what he tells them while they're in captivity. He said, uh, all who are carried away captive, and then he tells you, I'm the one that caused them to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And of course, we know that's because of their disobedience. But God is a God of grace and mercy, right? So even though they're in captivity, he's going to give them a pathway. He's going to show them how to be mm -hmm. successful, even though they're in captivity. And he goes right back to the original plan. And he says here, and he's only talking to the men here specifically, build houses and dwell in them. So a man has to get out of his mother and father's house, which is the same thing he said in, in Genesis, leave your father and mother. He has to have a home that he can dwell in. So not just have a house, but the house should be livable. He, he should be able to pay the bills. Take He needs a successful season of singleness on his own because the reality is he is going to take care of her as he takes care of himself. So if he didn't require it for himself, that's the environment she's putting herself in prematurely because if it's not important for him to do for himself, it's not going to be important for him to do for her. Yes. Then he goes on to say here, and I haven't seen this, I haven't seen this done. 
I haven't seen it accomplished uh, successfully. Uh, I just haven't seen it. Maybe it, it's been done, but build houses and dwell in them. And then notice what he says, plant gardens and eat their fruit. So in an agricultural society, what does a garden represent? A career, what? occupation, or job, right? Mm -hmm. Notice he didn't just say have a career, occupation, or job. He says eat the fruit of it. So every man needs a, a home that's livable. He needs a career, occupation, or a job that can sustain that. But then notice that and then eat the fruit of that, which means he needs a season of being single and successful on his own because it is the prerequisite for everything else that's getting ready to happen in his life. If he can do it for himself, it's repeatable. He can do it for his wife. Mm. If he can do it for himself and do it for his wife, it's repeatable. He can do it for the children. And I'll explain it further in a minute. Then look at verse six. Then it's real clear. Take wives. So really when we're talking about manhood, he's supposed to take that wife and do what? Put her in that house that's livable He's supposed to have a career, occupation, or a job now that can sustain them, and the two of them eat the fruit of that, right? Mm -hmm. So then he needs a successful season of enjoying marriage as well. So single, successful, married, successful, all of this is repeatable, right? And so that's 101, 201, and then after they've enjoyed their successful season of marriage, then they do what? He goes on to say to them, take what, and then he says for them, and then take wives and then beget sons and daughters, right? So we see process here. God is a God of process and he's a God of order. So mm -hmm. believe it or not, I didn't have anyone to teach me this or show me this. During that four years, I was literally asking God to show me how to be a man because I just didn't see it. And I didn't have anyone to actually define it or tell it to me the way I was looking for. And I took this as a blueprint and said, I will not get married until I've had a season of being successful and single. I've purchased a home or apartment or whatever it is on my own. It's livable. I have a career occupation or a job that can sustain me. And man, now I can enjoy a season of that. So in that season, uh, Takara, I enjoyed everything I wanted, the car I wanted to drive, clothes I wanted to wear, because guess what? When a man gets married, those are things he has to now sacrifice and give up. I wanted to make sure day one that when I married my wife, I could take care of her. Mm. She chose to work, she could, but if she didn't, she had that option. And that was a goal of mine. So from 22 to 30, I saved and I prepared to be able to present that to her on our wedding. That work would be optional. And I uh, ultimately retired her from her job. But if you understand the way my wife is wired, she cannot sit home. And <laughs> do nothing. Right. So that didn't last long in our household. And uh, she eventually started a business and, and the rest is kind of history from there. And then I didn't want to have children until the two of us had we had formed a solid foundation in our marriage and we had prepared financially and everything else for our children. So I literally stuck with that process. And, and honestly, it has just been so fruitful for us. Uh, and it's like I said, it's repeatable. So when people bypass process, uh, to, mm. um, it's not like God gives you a pass. And so even though they get married prematurely, now they've got to, he has to try to build a, a house in the middle of a storm. And it's not like God's ever going to give him a pass from becoming that. 
And all he's done is complicate his situation now. So he never did it for himself. Now he's trying to do it for himself and somebody else. And let's just say it's a blended family and that uh, spouse brings kids into it. Now he's trying to do it for himself, which he hadn't finished the process. Couldn't do it for himself, right? He's going to struggle trying to do it for her because he never did it for himself. Mm -hmm. Now there are extra miles to feed. And most men, uh, Takara, in that scenario, that pressure is too much for them. And they run. Absolutely. They look for an easier pathway. And so I just think this information is not out there in abundance. So people don't know. And so they just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I'm like one voice crying in the wilderness. <laughs> and uh, it's just not a lot of other voices out there that are standing for something like that. And so believe it or not, it's gotten me to a place where if people want that, they can come get it. But I don't go offer it to people because the response is so foreign uh, when you try to share this foundation with people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I'm listening here and I'm seeing everything that you're saying. I'm actually taking notes, too, because I talked to my son earlier today and my, and my son, he was he was in, in a depressed moment saying that I have not achieved. I'm not married. I haven't done this. He's 27. I have done and I've not done any of that. And I approached it, of course, from uh, from a coaching point of view. Well, let's understand you first. But from a from this biblical point of view, let's understand what you are set up to do first before you even have any of that. Mm -hmm. And that's that that was important for me to hear. And I think it's important for a lot of people to hear because on the other end of that, then there's me. Right. And you say God is a God of process and order. And pastor, I've been out of order. <laughs> In a sense. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, let's just say you didn't know. So I right. think I think the. Grace is different. It's measured differently based off of what you knew prior to making your decisions and now what you know after making that decision. And I think God will work with it, even if you're in it, if the repentance is there and you truly repent, you didn't know, right? And you ask God to, to help you. I 100% believe uh, that he will. It still won't change the process though. Mm. I firmly believe that every male has to get to a place. It's a great feeling. And I hope no one hears this the wrong way. The most empowering feeling for me is that for 24 years, I've taken care of my family by with, with, with being responsible for that. That doesn't mean my wife hasn't made income and she hasn't contributed. Here's the key. I've actually never made a decision based off of her income. Wow. So every car is in one name. The house is in one name. Every decision has been made off of one income for 24 years. Anything that she's brought in has just been plus money. It's, it's been surplus, pay off debt, pay off bills, take vacations. But I've never, ever made a decision based off of two incomes. That is the most empowering thing I could ever describe to you in my life. That makes me feel good about myself as a man. Absolutely. Now, here, now I got to bring this to you because this is very important. Um, I believe in that just as well. And talking about, I think that is a part of our masculinity. I think it's a part of what we should do mm -hmm. and what we should be. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem that I've seen um, from a from a vlogger perspective and also mm -hmm. from a counselor perspective. 
is the idea that because I'm a man who can achieve those things and achieve a, fi a level of financial success and take care of myself and take care of other, that I now see the woman uh, less of a woman mm -hmm. and more of a commodity. And, mm -hmm. and that, like, like what you just said, I'm, I'm, you found your pride or you, you're, you're empowered, not pride, you're empowered because you were able to do that, but you don't treat your wife any, as any less of a person, as any less of a human. And yeah. she doesn't lack in the love that you give to her. Mm -hmm. How can we, this is something in our culture today, pastor. And, and I got to tell you, our culture is, is, is a growing thought process that for a man to be empowered, he has to depower the woman. He has to look at her as a commodity and nothing more. And she has to deal with what he buys from her, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. How do we um, counteract that? Uh, uh, how, how do we counteract that as, as men who can take care of our, our, our wives? but also who love our wives more than just that position or that thing. Does that it, make sense? It does. That is the question of the day, right? And, and man, that is, <laughs> all right. So, so what he has to do is use his personal empowerment to empower his wife, right? Because a husband loves his wife. Listen to this now, the mm -hmm. same way Christ loves the church. Listen very carefully and gives himself for her. So believe it or not, I became all of that for her mm. to empower her. So now how does that translate? Well, what would make a woman? There are times my wife would bring home six figure checks, one check over six figures. And she would hand that directly to me and say, here you go, baby, or whatever she would say. There was so, tr so much trust there because she knew my heart in that all I was going to do is take that and better serve her with it. She was going to be the main beneficiary from my empowerment. And so when you talk about uh, a man and his wife, there should be no sacrifice too great from the man that uplifts his wife. And so mm -hmm. believe it or not, I've spent my whole marriage really building her. And, and when she says she wanted to go to real estate school, we fund that. When she wants to start her business, it's prioritized. Not only prioritized, but she's getting the best of everything that she needs to succeed at that. So she can clearly see that I'm not using this to manipulate her, suppress her, control her. I'm actually using it to serve her. Even to this day, uh, people are always going to compare us, right? Well, I'm right. for her, I'm from him, all that. We let them do that. Believe it or not, in our household, it's one. This is really the two are one. So we let all the people play that game. And I'm her and I'm him. And we let them do that. You know, biblically, we know that they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. And so we don't entertain it. We don't let people pit us against each other or any of that. But if you notice, I give her the same platform that I have, and I'm not threatened by that. I actually want her to shine. I want her to do extremely well. Uh, she wanted to start a women's ministry and the, the, I immediately budgeted for that. Not just so that she could start for start one, but so that she can have everything she need to needs to excel in. So the answer to your question is, if he does it to suppress her, then it's not motivated by love. But if he does it to empower her, 
and she's going to feel safe and secure in that environment. And she's going to serve him and treat him. And you know what I'm talking about when I say this, mm -hmm. the way he wants to be treated. The beautiful part about my wife is, you know, what helps me never, ever think about or entertain other women is I've never been thirsty over the course of this marriage. My wife, she takes great care of me. And that's the safest way I can say that. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. The house is always clean. There's always food that is provided for. The kids were always clean. Hair was always done. The kids were always prioritized. So I knew the better I took care of her, the better she was going to take care of me and our kids. And that's the real empowerment. I think a, a female, if she can be in, in that kind of environment, she is going to thrive and be all that she can be. So I actually look at it this way. Now, I believe it's her time because she served us so well and gotten the kids off to college and, and they're heading you know, down the road. And you know, my son is a little slower than my, my daughter, but, but he's gonna be fine. Uh, but the bottom line is you know, they're heading on down the road. And, and I could honestly sit down, retire from pastoring and really get behind her and, and push her out there because she's been so humble and her sacrifice to help us be who we are today. That's, that's powerful. I, um, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless because I love the way that sounds. And I know that's something that we should grow to be the idea that my strength should be her strength, wherever I'm empowered should empower her, whatever flows through me flows directly to her. And then I lift her up because I'm lifted up that, I mean, that to me, that's, that's manhood to me, that's a man to me, that's really fulfilling uh, what you were placed here on earth to do. Uh, or part of it, part of it. But yeah. pastor, I, I talking to couples, um, we, there's a lot of couples out there, a lot of men out there who married prematurely, mm -hmm. didn't have their economic, who didn't go through that process, who didn't have themselves together economically, um, who, who sometimes, if I'm to be honest, emotionally, they were looking for a mother rather than a wife. You just um, that, that in both cases, though, she's also looking for a son and not, mm, a, husband, not a husband. It's in both. It, that goes both ways because it's a control thing for her. Right. So she's looking for someone she can kind of control and be in charge of. And he's looking for somebody to take care of. Powerful. So even in that situation where you have a man who's like that and he begins to at least try to interact with that process, there's a possibility that she and losing control she loses her place that she's comfortable with can you not tell men all the time don't ever put yourself in that position mm -hmm. because in most cases she's not going to relinquish what you gave her at the beginning right and the reality is there's certain things i'm just never relinquishing i'm never relinquishing the money the responsibility uh, it's just never going to happen. That's going to create a separation. If, if it's ever brought that way, I'm never going to relinquish leadership, final decisions. Uh, you know, I, I take the position that I can lose with my hand in the air, with my arm in the air. I can't lose if I believed we were supposed to do something and I wasn't man enough to still do it. And I yielded to a direction you wanted to go in. I just can't live with myself. I can't get up, look at that guy in the mirror in the morning and see a man. 
And so there's just certain things. I'm never, I'm never relinquishing that order. I don't care if she's smarter, she's better. I'm not relinquishing that order. So I think when the marriage is built on being out of order, mm-hmm. it's a real tough uphill string for him now to, to write that ship because they, he married into that. And it's going to be foreign to her when he's trying to assert himself and be something that he never was at the foundation of that relationship. I tell men, don't put themselves in that situation. You show yourself prematurely like that. That's heavy. But they still do it. That's the main they, they still part. They still do that. <laughs> they, they, listen, they keep doing it. And even after you've been that clear with them, they keep doing it. So let me ask you this. With, with, with men who have done it, and I love, I love this part, with the men who have done it and they put themselves in that position, regardless of where she's at, can you give us some basic moves in order to get back in process so we can get back in order with God? Yeah. So you got to go back to believing what he said, how he defined that for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, if it were me, I'm just not going to put myself in that situation. But to the guy that puts himself in that situation, he would need to go to her and repent. Mm-hmm. And say, hey, I did this prematurely and we've done this the wrong way and, and we need to get this shit right but she has to be spiritually mature enough as well to, so that's where his leadership will come in. Can he show her that in the word of God? Can he show her that his change is founded from a personal relationship with God? And what he's trying to do is please God more than please her. And can he walk her through the process biblically, right? So that she can come alongside him and now help flip the house right side up where he is now responsible. He is the provider. He's the protector. He's leading where prayer is concerned. And let's just say it started off 70, 30. Mm-hmm. They need a plan in place where she's 70% responsible for all of the things that I just described. He needs to continue to grow and develop, right? And maybe it goes uh, from, from 60, 40 to, to 70, 30. Uh, I'm sorry, not from 60, 40, 70, 30 to 50, 50. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's this way where he's 60% responsible for everything. She's 40 then 70, 30, then 80, 20, right. Then 90, 10. And then he's 100% responsible for everything that, that happens in that home. I tell men, you have to be responsible for what you create. And, and here's what I hear in that. Here's what I hear in that. And I think that's, that's so good because what I heard in there is that, First, you go to God and identify what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to be. And then you go to her and show her what you've already identified so that once you make these moves is done in safety, meaning that you're not bullying her or you're not, I'm just going to do it this way, or you're, you're not um, uh, throwing, you're not being so aggressive to change yourself that you're throwing everything out of whack. And then I heard after safety, there's a plan. This is my plan to take right. you out of this position so that I can get back up into this into this position. Right. Oh, so what man. that looked like for my wife and I before we married, our first date was at a library. And several of our first dates were conversations so that mm. she could really understand who I was and make a determination early on in the friendship whether this was something she wanted to to spend the rest of her life or explore further. Some of those tough conversations were we weren't going to have sex before marriage. So if that's a problem for you, this is probably not the right relationship. Uh, Another tough one was debt. Uh, We're not going to operate in debt ever. And so as we got closer and further along in our friendship, now we're 
and so you're trusting but verifying so now she's bringing a credit report to the to the meeting i'm bringing a credit <laughs> report to the meeting we're both bringing health reports to the meeting because i found that people will tell you anything i'm this i'm that i'm building this i'm gonna grow do that they'll yes. do all of that but but that credit report is going to tell the real story. And so when we got to that point, she had what I call good debt. She had like 20 something credit cards, but it was really all trying to pay for college and and all of that. It wasn't what I call bad debt. And so um, I told her, if you pay off all of your personal credit cards, because I actually was going to delay the marriage until she accomplishes, you pay off all your personal credit cards. And I'll pay off your car and your student loans. The purpose for that, Kenyon, was to send a message that we were never going to live hand to mouth or in debt. And now educating her, sitting down at these meetings, and we're going through the word of God. And now we're looking at what God said about this issue. I'm leading in these things. Only thing, the only way that this works is she actually believes and trusts God enough as well to come alongside that. And now we both agree with God. And we set our lives up accordingly. And the beautiful part about that is we've been able to live a entire marriage where we haven't had any financial challenges or issues because mm. that foundation was there. So even before marriage, it's better before marriage, but in marriage, it's that same process. Can he sit her down and walk her through the why behind this change is coming? And then is she spiritually mature enough to come alongside him and agree with God? And the two of them together work that plan towards that end. That's powerful. That is powerful. I know we're running out of time, so I want to hit on something else that you hit on. But I, 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 I just just in response to that, we really need um, we need uh, connecting that to to manhood and connecting that to growth and connecting that to what you said earlier. We really do need a group of men who are accountable to those type things, unmarried and married, mm -hmm. um, who, who, who know these principles and who are and hold each other accountable to these principles so that we can have uh, better, um, better marriages, but more sustainable marriages that doesn't have money or, or, or power or empowerment as an issue at man. And that's blowing my mind. Cause I'm like, man, we need this. And that's the reason why we're doing this series anyway, so that we can get that get that stirred somewhere, somehow, some way, let God make it happen. But moving from there, uh, I, I really do want to touch base on celibacy. Yeah. And um, because I, I didn't want to leave this conversation without going directly into that. You've mentioned it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, this is something that 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 men have problem. I've had a problem with mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's it's available. And, and to be honest with you, uh, women who have been taught that acceptance is sex actually end up throwing it at you in order to feel that feeling of acceptance. Yeah. But you have told a, a unique um, and challenging story in a sense that you were set up in a way where um, intimacy or sexual intimacy was openly available to you. And it was okay. As far as a home culture, um, but you chose to stiff arm it. You chose to push it away and say, no, I'm going to go this route. How in the world, <laughs> how did you, 
How I mean, you, you talked about it earlier, and, and I remember you, you set yourself aside for four years. I, I guess the best thing to do is how how can men who are trying to be celibate, men who are afraid of being rejected by women because the woman can't give them what she thinks is bait. Mm-hmm. How do we deal? How do men who are trying to be celibate deal with this hard, hard, hard um uh, what is it? A, um, temptation, uh, something that we naturally want, but we know we shouldn't have by principle. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I first made that decision, well, let's go back a little further. I grew up in an environment, all uncles, all men around me, cousins, male cousins, it's just dudes everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and they all are the same kind of dudes, right? <laughs> my, my father was such that when we were 16, he brought my brother and I a Cobra Mustang. And he went, we really bought it for my brother, but I could use it. My brother lived with him at the time. And he went and bought an apartment or it wasn't his home. And he told us, my brother's probably 17, I'm 16. And he said, this is for us. And so you don't have to get a hotel. You don't need to wow. so bring them out here. And he gave my brother a key, gave me a key. You bring them out here and this is for us. And uh, just if you see my door closed, don't bother. <laughs> now, we're only 17 and 16. And if, if I see your door closed, I won't bother you. Right. And so, at, mm. you know, at 16, like my dad is cool or whatever, you know, all of that. But as I grew up and I saw his life, was turning out and keep in mind my dad died when I was 24 years old mm-hmm. so all of this is shaping me right this is two years after I give my life to Christ so he lived fast but he died young and I can kind of see the end result of all of that in my cousins and my uncles and all of that and, and I just didn't want that for myself right and so bottom line to it Kenyon is I actually wanted to be a man I had clearly define and conceded those were not men in my estimation and i didn't want to live their lives and it boiled down to me was just for me was wanting to be a man so once i found in the scripture flee fornication i can still quote this to this day every sin that a man does is without his body but he that commits fornication sins against his own body what know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, for you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body. And that became my, my mantra. I am going to glorify God with my body. man. And I saw myself as valuable. I saw myself as special. I saw myself as no longer being cheap. I saw myself as loving myself too much to expose myself to disease and, and you know, possibly death. And, and it really became about just wanting to, to love me better because I understood loving me better was going to help me love somebody else better. So I was no longer cheap. I was no longer for sale. I was no longer just giving myself away. I saw myself the way God saw me. I saw myself righteous. I saw myself uh, uh, whole. I saw myself loved. I saw myself forgiven. When I started understanding all the things that he had provided for me in that salvation, I didn't want to cheapen, cheapen, cheapen those things 
by fornicating and, and doing any of that. And so I held my head up high. And, and, and at 22, of course, the neighborhood talking about me, girls, I think he gay now, all mm. kind of stuff. But I'm actually a real dude. My response would always be the same way. Well, you keep doing things your way. I'm going to do it God's way. Let's come back together at the end of all of this and see which way it worked. And I've just kind of always been that way. And of course, at 54, I got a long view now of mm -hmm. the decision I made at 22 and how that turns out. But I also can see all my friends and people in the neighborhood who didn't value that. I can see how their lives turned out as well. So I could just say for me personally, it was wanting to be a man, finding out how God defined that. And once celibacy was a part of that process, man, I wanted to represent God to the fullest in that way. And I still do believe that it's still that important to me. Uh, 27 years, you know, 31 years after being saved. I just don't want to let him down. I don't want to hurt him. There are a lot of beautiful women out here. A lot of opportunities, a lot of situations. My wife is not the one that's keeping me. The same God that kept me from sleeping with her prior to marriage is the same God that's keeping me from cheating on her throughout the entire marriage. I just want to please God. And if that's a part of it, I'm going to give that everything I have. I gave the devil certainly everything I had. So, <laughs> so I, I'm not going to give God less than I gave the devil. And I'm a competitor, right? I'm an athlete. Right, right. That was a part of my thinking as well. I couldn't live that way for the devil and then give God less than what I gave the devil. Right. And, and so what I'm hearing is that I'm going to glorify God with my body. Yeah. And I am going to be accountable. So regardless of who's out there throwing whatever, I own this. Yeah. I account for this. I yeah. do that. Now, uh, as a closing, I heard you're, you're a competitor, you're an athlete. Um, I'm, I'm just going to ask, ask this. This wasn't in the stuff, but I, I, think, you, I think you got this. Um, glorifying God with my body should also include some sort of exercises, does it not? Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's all of that. And so we need, so we men need to find some way in order to deal with our health yes. as well, yes. as well. Okay. You, should, you should prioritize that because that's going to affect the quality of life that you have with your spouse, quality of life, doing the things that you enjoy doing, uh, all of that. And plus, again, it's not yours. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that you take care of the one house that God gave you that he actually lives in. And so you want to think about what you eat. You want to exercise that body and you really want it to look the best that it can be because that is bringing glory to God when you take care of his temple, the one that he gave you on this earth. So yes, glorifying God with your body certainly has a health component to it. Third John 2 says, brethren, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So man is a tripart being. He should give attention to his spirit, his soul, which is his mind, will, and his emotions, and his physical body. And all of those, he should want to bring the most glory to God as he possibly can. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Martins podcast, recorded live on social media and distributed to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. Now, we can't grow without you, so help spread the love. Wherever you found us, rate, like, share, and leave a review. 
We are grateful to you and appreciate you in advance. Do you have a question for us? Then visit askthemartins.com. Ask us your question or ask for a friend. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Ask the Martins podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.